There's a massive boarded up house, sort of like a maze, and there's this massive wolf scaring me, um, chasing me. Uh, it's allergic to light, but there is no form of light in the house. So I'm just stuck in the, I'm just in the dream with this massive scary monster chasing me. One, it's pitch black so you can't see where you're going, and two, it's really big. So you don't, you have no sense of direction. You can only hear the wolf man thing. It's just sort of a, it's sort of like a minotaur, but instead of that, it's like a bloodthirsty wolf thing. It's, it always like makes a roaring, screeching sound, sort of. So I tried the light switch, and then. Uh, it just sort of made like, um, like sometimes when you break a, when a bulb break, um, blows up, sound like that, but, uh, but like, you know when electricity blows up sometimes, when it's, but then some of the light switches are like, um, secret passageways. But they're also full of bloodthirsty werewolves. So it's basically just hell, hell. I used to have quite a lot of nightmares.
watching her sleeping. Arms and legs all starfished out, her hair all a tangle. Here in the stillness of another midweek morning, I am watching the rise and fall of her sides, her breathing, long and slow, in and out. I am hypnotized by this motion. The breaths become longer. The force of the in and exhalation increases louder, longer, until she is emptying the room. All air disappears inside her, creating around us a perfect vacuum held for one, two seconds. So the room is silent as deep space, and then a gust becomes a hurricane, and she breathes out, filling it again. Nothing stirs, nothing is dislodged, the process affecting no physical object. Unknowingly, she performs CPR on her shared space. With each intake, she starves it of air, strangling it. In these moments, I am paralyzed with fear. And then as she exhales, injecting life back into her surroundings, all can live again. Allowing time to pass. And making with it Binary intervals of stop and start, dark to light, one to zero, on to off, and back again. Taking everything to its very brink, risking it all, exacting utter control over the fate of her surroundings. While totally unconscious, for it is the only way she knows how to survive. Thus, she continues. In. And then out. In. And then out. And sleep is all around us. Thank you.
should write them down because I often um, wake up with them. I can relate them to easily to issues that I'm thinking about in the, the day before. They do replay what I'm thinking about. I often, it's like turning over a problem and I, I often go over it several times. Yes. I, I've had some very funny ones and I should write them down because they are. <laughs> From what I've read, the little I've read, it's our mind sort of sorting things out so we can lay things to rest and then move on. I think that's what I understood. I understand by it because if you don't get, if you're not able to sleep, you can't move on, I think. But what does amaze me is how, how I can think up I mean, I can see wonderful sort of landscapes and places, and I know they're nowhere I've ever been. And that does seem extraordinary. I mean, I can see it in real detail, you know, technicolor detail. You think, how do I do that? That's really extraordinary. It's having an inner dialogue with myself, sort of, you know, going over something talking to myself through um, perhaps different characters or whatever. I think, um, Pushing through the crowd, I found you in the sunken seating area. Excusing ourselves from your friends, we got out of there and headed down to the river's edge to take it all in, ripping the railings. We gazed out over the struggling water. Some dam had burst, and while the sky was all a mess and the old wind was howling, the trees bent low. We stood there watching plumes of water crashed over the twisted steel and broken concrete. The people behind us were shouting, telling us to move back. It was too dangerous to stand down there, but by this point there was a crowd all along the broadwalk, everyone else at safe distance. We turned and helped each other up, up through the rubble, which was now an almost vertical slope fences and up stairwells, ducking under pipes and squeezing past huge, dull, metallic industrial waste. We talked about how things were now. He said it felt like there was something in the way. It felt cold towards people. I was the same. After a long climb, we hit some kind of plateau on the top of a power station. was gone, and you smiled. We could see a long way, but the buildings were all nondescript and fake-looking. Could have been anywhere. 
noticed little bits of sun coming through the clouds and moving slowly across the broken city. Spotlights from above. Okay, another dream here, seeing as it is the subject of the show. Just a uh, footnote, actually. Uh, not all of my dreams are about girls. Okay, I dream about lots of different things. Loads of different stuff. Spans the genres. Uh, lots of stuff, you know. I mean, you name it. I've had a go. It was unconscious. Um, not like that. Okay. Um, right. I have come very far from where I know not. The sun twists through the yellow leaves above and across the perfect green grass, the limits of the park are distant in the summer haze. I am wearing a light linen suit with hat in hand. Somewhere down by the old rose garden, I turn a corner and she's there, sat on an old iron park bench, just like the ones we used to sit on when we were 15, half a lifetime ago. And she looks the exact same, I mean older, but not really. In fact, on reflection, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what she does look like. But her eyes are utterly unchanged. They are so bright, it is inhuman. And her smile goes all the way. Not all the way round. That's weird. I run over and she's so glad to see me. Oh, and she raises up her thin arms and I take her up in an embrace. And it's really happening. She is the most perfect blonde girl ever, even though she's not totally blonde and due to some power that I cannot explain I I can see her even when I'm not looking her head remains at one angle one set angle and she does not turn away ever and I'm enraptured instantly and my heart fills up oh and I tell her she's beautiful she's the beautiful girl all these stupid dead-end years I've tried to find someone even doesn't no one even came close and I tell her I have always loved her. Oh, and that she is the only one, and I'm assuming all this is true. I mean, why not, really? It seems doubtful that I would say otherwise, potentially. I've, um, yep. And then the neck is so slender, and she does this lovely little ha ah, like laugh. This It's gorgeous. Meaning that she feels the exact same way, obviously, and that, we, and that she's so glad that I'm finally here again. And I also intuit from that that 
from now on we'll be together always. You know, we are as one. With her perfect face from One Direction and her bright summertime eyes that never blink. Ever, like, not in a like not in a Silence of the Lambs way, like like um like Auntie Hopkins. More, more, more like she just doesn't need to blink. She just doesn't doesn't need to blink. And I take her hands lovely little hands and they're and they're so pretty that I can't actually feel the surface and it seems strange that I can't kiss her it's, her face is like some set scene that I don't have access to like um a picture really but I am totally sure that soon we will be able to have sex and that will be way better than some kissing so you know and I expect the sex will be really good. And that makes me love her even more. And as I'm holding my newfound love, it becomes apparent that she is a great deal smaller than I remember. Kind of about, actually about three foot long and kind of plasticky. Actually, actually totally plastic. And I realize I've objectified her to such an extent that she's now quite literally an object. It's kind of blank doll thing and it looks nothing like her and it looks like nothing like anything really and I shake it in my hands in utter rage and now the weather's not nice like it's not the sun's gone in it's starting to rain and the grief shakes me to my core and I become incredibly sad and weep uncontrollably because now there's actually it's literally no one to have sex with I will not be having any sex at all and also, you know, I miss her um, very much. And this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. It's the actual, actual nightmare now. And the doll falls to the floor, and I can't even look at it. So I walk around the corner, and just around the corner is this cliff. You're at the top of the cliff, and if you time it right, you can jump into the sea when it's high enough. And the sea's not actually wet. It's more just... The image of a sea, you know, it doesn't actually get you get you wet. And I'm thinking about this fabric print from a while ago, actually, that uh, had tarot cards on it, like the Rider Watt selection, which I think KTZ did a version of way back. I mean, way back. And it and uh, actually, the guy over there um, in the dream that he's, he's he's actually wearing that now. And so we go up the we go up the road, um, and there's a shack there, and it turns out that it's actually the time to put away all the musical instruments that have just been like someone's just left them all around. They're everywhere. There's a trombone and stuff, and like the whole brass ensemble. Um, and this is on the moors, so it's going to get rainy soon. So I have to do it really quickly. So anyway, I climb up, uh, climb up onto the roof, and we all again putting everything together and uh, you know sorting it out. And that's um, that's about it actually. There's some other stuff I've written down there, but um, I just shapes really. Yeah. Hmm.
try to dream of nice things, happy things, but they always turned into really, really scary things. But I didn't even think about it. There was like, there was no part of me that was wanting it to be a bad dream. Or maybe it was that I was concentrating too much on having a good dream that it became bad. Sometimes I got the hang of dreaming of nice things and I went to this candy lab ground was licorice, nobody liked the ground, um, ice cream grew on trees, but all the sweets didn't make you fatter, they just kept you the same, they didn't do anything to your health, they just, they were basically just eating normal food, healthy food, but in sweet form, and my hair was, when it was all not twisted, it was candy floss, and it, um, every, every part of your body, most parts of your body, are uh, sweets, and they regenerate immediately, so I, I could pick, pick a lump of cotton candy off my hair, and they just suddenly appear back. My arms were a piece of licorice, which were absolutely horrible. My fingers were little candy canes that were straight. Like, not curved. Unless I curved my fingers. My legs were also kind of good. My feet and my toes were little pieces of gummy bears. So I look pretty weird to dissect. <laughs> part of your memories so imagine like a wire sort of like a ball going through all the memories you had and squashing them together because it's trying to sort them out and then that makes it a really weird image so imagine putting like you know those old-fashioned projectors where you have the small pictures and you put them in that but putting loads in front of each other and it just turns into this really weird image. Yeah. So that's what dreams Listening to Surplus Bulbs, written and produced by Ad Hicks, with music by Ad Hicks, featuring the voices of Fran Hicks and Archie Belfield. If you wish to support this show, 
Follow the links in the text to our Big Cartel shop, where you can find scenes, prints, original art, and various paraphernalia. Good night. <laughs>